You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Alrighty, everybody. Um, if you see me in person, I want your feedback about the intro. I've got nothing bad to say about Desmond. I love Desmond. What if we had Desmond do something fresh yeah, and new? Because we are not on the radio, if you haven't figured that out by now. We we, we had a, a plan to be on the radio. It was it was almost a sure thing. That was the original purpose. That was the original purpose of this podcast. Like, we were approached about being on the radio, and we're like, yep, we'll do it. We told Pastor Mark, and he goes, hey, you should do a podcast, too, for the church. Do them at the same time, because in case the radio thing falls through, remember he said that? You still have a podcast. The wisdom of a the pastor. The wisdom of a shepherd. <laughs> you just maximized what I said, man. I said yeah. pastor, but shepherd sounded so much better. It kind of did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even deny it. <laughs> so we can redo that intro, maybe redo the intro music. I don't know. There is a slight chance that someone listening to this podcast right now actually has a radio station and has the availability to put two guys in their 30s on their radio station. <laughs> if you want to do that, if the Lord's leading you to do that. If you want to make sure that Desmond no longer lies about the statements that he makes every week, you can put do us it on your for radio Desmond's show. character. I mean, his reputation. Over in England. Before we get into today's uh, topic, I need to talk about one thing. I need to talk about this tsunami. Not a real one. Metaphorical oh, you tsunami. You had me scared. Uh, which, by the way, we pray for uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Man, it's burning up. Well, at least Lahaina is, which is where I exactly where I stayed. But that was like three years ago. You know when people make random correlations, and it's like, man, I was, I was, I flew United two months ago, and then like the plane crashed that week, and it's like, okay. Anyways, I digress. The tsunami, the metaphorical tsunami, that is the wave of pickleball. Listen, yes. it's the fastest growing sport in the U.S. by a wide margin to the point where athletic clubs, private communities are tearing up tennis courts and putting pickleball courts in. Got to ride the wave. Ride the wave, guys. I'm going to actually play some pickleball tonight. We were about to have a pickleball court painted at the church yeah. last night, but we had a torrential downpour. Yeah. I don't have much to say other than um, it's really fun. And I think that there's a, there's, I watched a video on it. There's a discrepancy. Well, there's, there's a lot of tennis players who are getting upset. I understand why, but they think it's, you know, for lack of a better term, the poor man's version of tennis, it's easier. It's way easier, but that's why more people are playing it. Here's my two cents. And then I'll let you talk. Anything that gets people outside is a good thing. The barrier to entry with tennis is kind of hard. You got to be good. I don't want to be hard on you, but anything that gets people outside is a good thing. There could be some activities that. Okay. Sorry. Any. <laughs> wow. I got to put a lot of caveats on here. I'm just giving them all. Any time, sport folks. that doesn't harm yourself or others. And that if the entire world was doing it, it would still benefit <laughs> the world. Yes. That awesome. Uh, anything that can get, especially the elderly, because it started as an elderly sport. And now the average player of a pickleballer is 34. I'm four things you that are were four things. spearheaded by the previous generation that the younger generations are picking up. We need more 
people of this generation picking up the wisdom of the older generation. And it starts with pickleball. Pickle picking up the pickleball. Picking up the pickleball could be a picture of things <laughs> to come. All right. If that wasn't an intro, I don't know what is. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. I want you to spearhead this if you were going to give this podcast what episode. I was talking about today a title, it would be Cries from the Other Side. And I'm going to be telling a story from our U.S. history. The year was 1862, and we were one full year into the Civil War. And my main character today was a Christian, and his name was Richard Kirkland. He was 19 years old in 1862, and he was born in South Carolina. So, folks... If you're aware of anything about the Civil War, the fact that he was born in South Carolina means that he wasn't part of the Union Army. He was a Confederate soldier. So with that being said, my guest host just stole my pen, but that's okay. He can keep it. Usually I may want to make notes. When we're taking notes, he's like, I just mentioned the Confederates and now he's taking notes. What is he <laughs> going to say? Actually, I'm writing down the the wave file number on, Thank you. on here so I don't have to search for it. Okay. So I want to make something clear. As I tell this story, I am not for the cause of the Confederates. I'm not for slavery. I don't want to be canceled. I'm for this one man's actions on this one day. But I'm going to paint the backstory of what was happening with Richard Kirkland and his 2nd South Carolina Regiment. It was the Battle of Fredericksburg. Where's Fredericksburg? Fredericksburg is in Virginia. and I've been there. There you go. I have not. I'd like to see some of these areas. I saw it. I was in a Civil War reenactment. I'm not Dude, kidding. You're just flexing all over sorry, me right now. I was. That's okay, awesome. So Fredericksburg, this was important in 1862. There was a whole year through the war, and General McClellan was the head of the Army of the Potomac, and President Lincoln removed him from that position. He was a very wise general. He was... Great at what he did, but he had a lack of action. And he put a man by the name of Ambrose. Let me find his last name. Ambrose. Where did I put it? Where did I put it? Oh, man. Your, I lost your notes spot. aren't even single space. They're, they're cramped. Yeah. Well, anyways, Efficient. I'll figure out his name. But he put a new guy in charge. And this new guy wasn't nearly as smart, wasn't nearly as experienced, and he felt some pressure that he had to act. He had to do something extreme because the former general. general was removed for lack of action. I have to do something act. And he saw Fredericksburg as the thing he needed to do because there were two capitals. There was the capital of the United States of America, which was Washington, D.C. And then there was the Confederate capital, which was Richmond, Virginia. And in between those two was Fredericksburg. And he saw that as the place he needed to take action. So what happened was Robert E. Lee didn't know what was going to happen. He knew there was going to be action. If you don't know who Robert E. Lee was, he was the head of the Confederate Army. He was actually, interesting note, at the start, even before the war took place, as President Lincoln was gathering military support, he was going to give him control over the whole military of the Union. But since Robert E. Lee was a Virginian and wow. cared about his land, he said, I can't fight against my own people. And he did it. And he decided to support the Confederacy. Jeez. But he's a very smart, wise man. So there was one thing that separated the North from Fredericksburg. And it was a river. It was the Rappahannock River. And the Rappahannock River, uh, the Union would have had an easy shot. Probably would have done much better in the Battle of Fredericksburg. 
Battle of Fredericksburg goes down as one of the bloodiest battles of all U.S. history, and especially for the Union. It was all one-sided. But they got to this river, and the general who had been who replaced McClellan had called for boats, ramps to get across the river. They came like three weeks late. So the Confederates watched this large group of Union soldiers staged right outside of their city of Fredericksburg going, something's happening. So by the time they actually got across the river, Robert E. Lee and the Confederates had fled Fredericksburg. So they easily took that. The Union easily took that. But the Confederate soldiers fleed to the high ground in the hills because Fredericksburg was placed in kind of a valley with hills all around it. And Robert E. Lee and his men, including our star character, Richard Kirkland, fled to these hills. And he fled to one of the most formidable places that the Confederates staked their claim at. And that was Marie's Heights. Marie's Heights. It was about a third of a mile wide. And there was a four foot wall where there were infantry soldiers lying behind it. And even above that was artillery. And there was a new artillery, a cannon back in the 1860s that could shoot a 12 pound ball a mile long, which is wild. Wow. Is that crazy? A mile. And then they had this thing called canister. And what canister was, it was like a coffee can filled with golf ball size lead balls that they would just shoot out there like a shotgun and just demolish people. So the general was like, we got to, we got to advance. We got to go against, we're just going to go all out. But the men who actually were going, most of them were Irish, knew it was just going to be a slaughter. He sent 27,000 men in a six to eight hour window. And at the end of the day, 17,000 lay dead in this field or wounded. 17,000 dead or wounded. So just to put a comparison of what 17,000 people in a half a mile, a third of a mile wide field looks like, the population of Glenwood in 2021 was 10,326. You just wiped out my, my hometown. Robert E. Lee, this was a, this was actually a slaughter. It wasn't even a battle. Robert E. Lee was so, somewhat concerned, but the head of the all artillery unit, what he decided to do, which was not common, was we're going to shoot these canisters. We're going to shoot these balls before they even get to the wall, which wasn't practical. Robert E. Lee was trying to encourage him not. He said, listen to me, sir. Not even a chicken will be able to live in this field after we're done with them. So they would be advancing, they would be advancing, and then they'd just be getting hit. They didn't know anyone was behind this wall. Everyone was crouched, just getting hit with all these canister balls. As they get within 100 yards, up pops men from behind this four-foot wall at Murray's Heights. And there's three rows of them. So one guy shoots, he ducks, gets back, another comes up, already loaded, shoots, and it's just continuous thunder coming down on people. Out of those 27,000 people that went through there that day, 17,000 were wounded or dead. None of them got closer than 30 yards to the wall. Whoa. The Union the next day was planning on sending even more men up to do the very same thing. And that's where we find our character Richard Kirkland. He was 19 years old. And my first point I want to bring out for us so we can gather wisdom from this man's action was he was young and he wasn't a general. He wasn't at a high level of leadership. And so often we demote the potential of what we can do based on our age, whether we're old or young or our position. But we've been well taught here at New Creation Church, and hopefully you know this, that Leadership is not determined by the position we have. It's determined by a word with I at the start of it. 
the influence you have. And I appreciate learning that we can have 360 degree influence, whether you're below people, whether you're the same position as them or above them, no matter where you are, you can have leadership or influence because of that. That's from a book by John Maxwell. And there's a favorite quote we say often about trees. What's that quote? The best time to plant a tree. I think 25 years ago. Let's go with that number. Uh, second best time is right now. So he realized he could have influence. The second thing I wrote down is that it was divisive. This is wild. American soldiers fighting American soldiers. That's just what it was. The South, they were Americans. The North, they were Americans. So many of Richard Kirkland ancestors fought in the revolutionary war. They were all Americans and it was divisive. It was nasty. When the union went through Fredericksburg, they pillaged, they just destroyed the town. It was nasty. Anyway, you slice it. And I think so many of us are blind to the fact that we may not be in a natural war. We recognize the division and that all goes back to a spiritual war that's taking place in our country, in our world right now. And we need to wake up. There's a war going on. And some of us are like, come on, smack yourself a little bit. Maybe not physically, but spiritually smacked yourself. You need to yourself. be physically slapped. <laughs> he said it. I did it. And recognize <laughs> we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Thirdly, the South, the Confederates, they were outnumbered. Uh, I made mention of this. Robert E. Lee was a genius of battle tactics, but they didn't have as many men as the Union. If the South had as many men, they probably would have won the whole war. But even in this battle, the Union had so many more people they could send. Again, I'm not for the Confederates, but we need to recognize that as the church, as those that are going to do the right thing in this earth and be an influence, be leaders, we are going to be outnumbered. And I do think subconsciously, internally, many of us want to blend in with the majority or compare our success, our wisdom if it's what is accepted by the majority. And another quote, I don't know who originally said it, but it's true. One man with God is always in the majority, but naturally speaking, what we can see with our eyes, touch with our hands, feel in this natural world of ours, we're not going to be in the majority. And we need to be able to take a stand against the majority. If you're going to act like the majority, you'll never lead the majority. <laughs> okay, I'm just moving on. You're doing good. Next point. They had the high ground. So even though they were outnumbered, the reason they were so successful, the Confederates in this battle. And to be honest, Robert E. Lee was so shaken by this battle. The war went on into, I think, 1865. This was 1862. But this shook him for the rest of his life because his, he saw his men just get so crazed. It's like, come on, let's go, go. And Robert E. Lee has a quote that he said, it's a good thing that war is so nasty. This isn't his words. He was much more eloquent. This is the paraphrase. It's a good thing war is so nasty. Otherwise, we'd be grow too fond of it. But they were had the high ground. And one of his men at the, after the day of 17,000 people dying and laying dead said, they could send all the people in the world up here. And we kill every single one of them from our position because they had the high ground. Spiritually speaking, we have the high ground in Christ. We've been seated with Christ. Now we're not warring against a natural 
people, but we are warring against principalities, powers, and might, and dominion. And Jesus made a public display of them in the heavenlies, having stripped them of all their power and were seated with him. It's good to recognize, first off, that you're in a battle. But secondly, your position in the battle is a position of victory in high ground, seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Again, I know these things from church and hearing our pastors share about them, but we have to keep them in the forefront of our mind because the only way the Confederates would have lost the battle at Marie's Heights is if they didn't know there was a battle going on or they didn't show up to fight. It's the only thing. And it's the same for us. Do we not know there's a battle going on? Are we completely ignorant of it? And are we showing up and executing the victory we have? Our pastor has a message and it's been said that his message is a message of victory. And we have it literally written on the walls of our church. Amen. If you look above the doors, there is a scripture from 2 Corinthians. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. So show up to battle. I'm even thinking of what Jesus said about those who will be saved. He doesn't say they're the strongest, the quickest. He says it's those who endure and show up. We've got a podcast about showing up. Oh, yeah, with uh, Jeff Serbia. Great guest. Great guest. And the enemy was fighting a losing battle. That was my point. That's what I'm saying. They were in a losing battle, and they were willing to send so many people up there. And they did end up losing that specific battle. Next, this is where it gets really focused on Richard Kirkland. What is on our side of the wall can't blind us from what's on the other side of the wall. Another character that I've brought up to you, Jonathan, some of the people have heard me talk about is Joshua Chamberlain. He was actually there at the battle on the other side of the wall. He said as night closed in, the sound was so eerie because there were so many people screaming, crying, yelling. You couldn't make sense of it. It was like a ghostly sound just oozing through the night. And that was all on one side of the four foot wall. On the other side of the four foot wall, the Confederates were healthy. They weren't injured, they were eating, but they were trying to get some sleep. Richard Kirkland found himself in that spot, laying against the wall. And I think it it brings awareness to us. We are in Christ, it's a safe place. We are in a body of Christ. We're in the church. There's blessings that come with that, but there's people who live on the other side of the wall. And there's a couple different responses. The first response is, I'm trying to numb out what's going on on the outside of the wall so I can get some relief. And that's what everyone except for Richard Kirkland, a 19 year old boy did that day. They said, how can I numb out the sounds of the people crying on the outside of the wall so I can get some sleep, so I can go to bed. But Christ is calling us to awaken. He got so bothered by the sounds that his thoughts weren't, how can I get to sleep? They were, how can I end up taking action? And that's what he started thinking about. And the next point I have here is we have to recognize that we have something to give. And before I go into that point, let me make another comparison from history about hearing the sounds from others and the responses we can take. I I heard this, that in Germany during World War II, there was a church right by some train tracks. Now, only 10% of the German populace were part of the Nazi party. Again, they weren't in the majority, the Nazis, they were just powerful. And this church would sing their Lutheran hymns on Sunday mornings. But the concentration cars would bring people right by the church. And as those cars would pass, 
people would be screaming, help, help, help. And everyone in the church would just sing their hymns louder. Are we trying to numb ourselves to what's going on outside of the wall? Or are we trying to take action? And the next point that I'd made mention of is we got to recognize that we have something to give. He looked around and this was, it was cold. It was in December and people were freezing and they were bleeding out and they were getting very dehydrated. So people were calling out like water, please mercy. I just need water. I water. And he saw he had a canteen. Now what is a water picture of life? Life. So picture of the spirit. It's yeah. a picture of the word of God. Those are the things that people on the other side of the wall need. Good. We got to recognize that we have those things. So he, he gathered his canteen. He gathered some other guys canteen and, uh, he recognized he had something to give. My last point, and this is the culmination of it is he jumped the wall and got it to them. Now he gathered these canteens and he didn't just jump over. He actually went to his superior and he said, Hey, these men are crying out. Can I take them water? Mm. And that was a death sentence to jump over that wall is a death sentence. So what Richard Kirkland proposed was, can I wave the white flag as I jump over? And his leader said, you can jump over if you really want to, but there's no way you can wave the white flag. And sometimes I think we do that even in the church. We go, how are we going to reach all these people? Well, we'll just give in. We'll just be like them. We'll do whatever. We'll wave the white flag. We'll take on whatever they're doing so that we can influence them. And it doesn't really work. It's more risky to not wave the white flag. But if we're going to reach people, we can't submit ourselves completely to what they're going through. So he goes, all right, I'll take my risk. He jumps over the wall and you know what happens immediately? People start shooting at him because their supposition is that he's jumping over this wall to rob the dead people and take from them. So here, I'm not going to guarantee any of us that if we take the right action, it's always going to be received well. You're going to get shots taken out. Shots fired. It might happen against us, but the cause on the inside of us needs to be greater then the bullets come in against us. So he, he miraculously gets away from these bullets because the union had set up snipers and said, if anyone gets over that wall, take them out. And they recognize he's not taking anything from these men, stealing their watches, their boots, their clothes, their valuables. He's actually giving them life. And I think the world, maybe because of a lack of action from myself and different things, is thinking that we're trying to take things from them but we need to be no more for what we're for and get things to people. And then they'll know, they'll find out by action that we're actually trying to get something to them, not take anything from them. And for an hour and a half, he went back and forth over the wall, giving aid to these men. And what ended up happening instead of the general, the next day sending a whole load of other men up there to face the same fate, the union called it off and that battle ended at that day. And it might remind me of this scripture by David, a warrior, uh, Psalm 18, 29. He said, in your strength, I can crush an army with my God. I can scale any wall. Now we go, how do we apply these verses? David was a warrior. Yeah, he was. But again, we're in a battle. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. We know that from the book of Ephesians, but he said, I can crush an army. So many of us run from the enemy instead of run against him with the power of Christ and what we have. 
Jesus said that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against the church. That means we need to advance against the gates of hell. David got this power from God, recognizing that your strength, I can crush it on an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. And I believe we all have different walls that keep us, hinder us from getting the life of God out of us. Man, it can be anything. It can be generational. I don't know about the old people. The old people, I don't know about the young people. It could be political. It could, I mean, we could go up and down the list. It could be fear. It could be insecurity. But there is might. There is power in Christ for us to get over our wall and get to people in need. And we're isolating ourselves. Pastor Mark was even talking about this, not specifically to us, but... We have biker church. We have cowboy church. I've had people ask, so it looks like you really have a heart for the Latin church because you go to Guatemala. I said, no, I just like people. We isolate ourselves for comfortability instead of seeking God for unity. But you can isolate yourself and be with people just like you and have comfortability, but you have to jump over some walls to gain unity, which is what Jesus paid for. That's kind of what I had today. It's amazing, yeah. this story of Richard Kirkland, and I, I gathered some points from it. Well, I, I remained quiet most of this podcast because I really enjoy stories, um, and you presented that one extremely well. A lot of really good points that you drew from that. So I'll just go into my wisdom of the day, I guess, unless you have something else to say. You know, I might after you say the okay. wisdom of the day, but yeah. I just kind of went intense, went right. right at it. Well, I was just thinking a lot about, well, for this isn't wisdom of the day. This is just funny. You were talking about battle tactics. And I was thinking about an, uh, a paintball event that we had with the youth where you were a youth student and I was a leader. And I was trying to have some good battle tactics with you. We were crawling through these bushes trying to, you remember this? Yes. Trying to sneak up on the enemy. And we started getting unloaded on in these bushes and I just bailed. And then I looked behind me and you were nowhere to be found. And you stayed in the bushes, but I completely abandoned you and you got pelted with paintballs. That, Maybe you forgot that. No, I, I totally <laughs> remember that. I remember that. We were in Kai Deckard's property. Yep, yep. In that between Silver Rifle, I was wearing a white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I still have. There's a scar right here from where it broke the skin. That's actually how Kirkland ended up dying. A uh, year or two later in Georgia, the Battle of Chickamauga, he got too far in front of his line and got shot in the chest. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we were just playing paintball. We were just playing paintball. Um, anyways, uh, when you were talking about the church in Germany, that when the cars were going by and they hear the screams, they would just sing their hymns louder. And I was just thinking about, you know, oftentimes when something really makes you uncomfortable, it's because it's exposing a flaw or an insecurity in you that you know is there and you get, you get offended, you get it's bothered true, by it. It's true. Um, and I was just thinking about often that's what happens even with the word of God. So we read something that we know is true and we know we're not living up to it. And so we, we gloss, we, we gloss over it or we skip that part. It's like, eh, oh, I just want to read the thing that makes me feel good about myself instead of really confronting the issues and the flaws and just thinking about the word of God being, and we've said, I've said this before on a podcast, but the word of God is a mirror. A mirror isn't to look at yourself and see how good you are. It's to expose flaws, to see if True. you've got hair out of place, see if you've got something in your teeth. And oftentimes when someone points it out, it makes you uncomfortable. 
but it's that true. happened yesterday with the booger in my nose. <laughs> right. But like, but it's necessary. It is necessary. And, it's worth and it. when you get rid of it, it's like, okay, thank you. And you're you. better for it. And you're better for it. So when you're confronted with a hard truth and it makes you uncomfortable, take a moment to reflect because it's probably exposing an insecurity or a flaw within you that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Anyways. You know, I wanted to say this too as we're wrapping up. And maybe wisdom of the day will precede wisdom of the day and what we are saying right now. But the cries of this world aren't going to sound like, I need help from God. <laughs> right. They're going to look like people who have sexual confusion. Right. But we need a holy interpreter by the Holy Spirit right. to recognize this person is crying out in this way. And really it's just a crying out right. from pain and woundedness and coldness yeah. from the world they live in and the battle they're fighting. Well, you see this. I mean, this is a very Is that serious, fair to say? Yeah. Well, this is a very serious topic, but you know, someone who maybe tries to take their own life and who's unsuccessful, people around them will say that was a cry for help. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah, like that's a great way that's a great thing that we need to distinguish. It's not going to be like, I really need a savior if someone, no, it's people acting, hurting themselves or hurting other people, doing something that you would think is very foolish or very yeah. detrimental, but it's, it's a cry for help because they don't know. They don't know any better. Somebody who's in the dark is going to run into a wall and you go, why'd you run into that wall? Well, they don't know. They're in oh, darkness. Yeah. I was thinking that when the people of God were in Egypt, and they cried out for deliverance. Yeah. The Bible says that the Lord heard their cry, heard his people's cry. And as I was processing, I'm like, are we hearing the cry? I'm like, ah, they're not our people. They're not our people. Yeah. These are ungodly people. But my Bible says that we're joint heirs with Christ and the heathen is his inheritance. Are we even hearing the cries of our people, our possession, our inheritance in Christ, the people around us? Cause you're not going to ever influence people that you don't hear their cry. And secondly, so often, instead of compassion, we're frustrated with these people. Yeah. Oh, how stupid are they? How evil are they? And you will never influence somebody that you're super frustrated right. at. Yeah. And as I was researching about Kirkland, it's interesting that he carried these dualities within himself. He literally died a year or so later, running ahead, trying to attack the enemy he was saving. He was a warrior. He was fully compassionate at the same time. He was able to hold both within inside of himself. Yeah. And that's the mark of a true Christian. Those that can war completely and have the heart of a warrior against Satan, but also the heart of compassion against the yeah. person that Satan and his demonic forces are destroying. That's a great word. That's my wisdom of the day. <laughs> well, I was also, I was thinking this too, like how many people on the confederate side of the wall heard those cries as well and had that same thought man they if they need water maybe we should help them out but then that they were immediately talking themselves out of it saying well somebody else will do it somebody else will do it and as christians we have that a really great first thought but we talk ourselves out of it with oh, somebody else might do oh, it oh man and this brings me back to a point that I read out of the five second rule book, right? Yeah. You have five seconds, like scientifically speaking, you have five seconds to act on a decision 
before your brain starts telling you reasons why you shouldn't do it. Not to say that you can't act on it outside of the five second window, but you have about five seconds where you are not bothered by your own uh, thoughts. Anyways, just thinking about as Christians, you know, we see the world. I mean, I'll even look at it and be like, man, it's a great thing that missionary's doing that. You know, at least somebody's doing it. And you're always passing off responsibility. And, and Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. And that looks different for different people. I'm not telling you, you got to go to Africa, but if you are moved with compassion, yet you talk yourself out of it because you're thinking somebody else might do it. If everyone's thinking that way, guess what? The world doesn't get reached. And that's probably why the world to a large degree isn't being reached in the way it should because every Christian is thinking somebody else will pick up the mantle. Including myself. Yeah. I'm, including, I'm not condemning anyone Dude, I'll else. drive by something and I'm like, and my wife's like, should we call 911? And I'm like, yeah, somebody else probably already did. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. Just, <laughs> man. Come and on, that, real talk. That, yeah, real talk. But that's going to seep into every other area. Um, you know, there's the quote that says, how you do anything how you do is how you do everything. Which it sounds very simplistic. But even in the small things, man, it's like I'm not – I don't take the time to properly rinse off my dishes. I mean, is that going to lead to something extremely detrimental? I, I don't know. But if I'm lacking the discipline in that small thing, that's probably carrying over into some things that are that are important. Let me – I've said this before, but I want to be a person of action. And this quote I come back to a lot, that's unsuccessful people – Make their decisions slowly and change their minds quickly. Successful people make their minds up quickly and change their minds slowly. Mm. And so often we're in the boat of people that, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Fine. I'll do it. And then oh, I probably shouldn't have done it. All right. Back out. You're never going to make progress that way. Right. The kingdom of God is advancing and he gave us a green light. Yeah. Go into all the world. And when we go, all of us. I'm fairly convinced we're going to have to jump over a wall, yeah. hear the cries on the other side, and get to the other side. Amen. Well, great story, great points, and great afterthoughts. Man, good podcast. Yeah. Am I praying or are you praying? Either one. Why don't we pray together? All right. You start it. I'll end it. <laughs> actually, no. That never works. I was literally I, just... I actually was just thinking last time we did that, it oh, worked well. I was just at like a sending off party. <laughs> And for somebody who was going to college and the dad was like, well, let's have this person pray first. And then anybody else wants to add. So this person's praying and I'm thinking of like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'll pray like Jeremiah 29, 11. And then all of a sudden they, they say it. I'm like, okay, can't do that. All right. I'm going to pray that they're going to grow in wisdom and favor. Oh, they just can't say that. And I'm literally like this person prayed everything. And then they're like, he like the, the dad actually gives me a nudge and it's like, I, I want you to pray. And I'm like, that guy stole to all say, my material. I'm in such agreement with what they said. God, <laughs> no, I ended up praying, and I and I had to be like, as and as was stated before, yeah, <laughs> and good. as was stated before. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'll just pray unless you really want to pray. <laughs> Go too. for it, man. All right, Father God, we thank you for this podcast. We thank you for uh, the influence that you've given us um, over the not over, but. Uh, just the people that we get to reach through this podcast, yes. Father God. Uh, we don't take it lightly. Um, so we just thank you. Uh, we're honored. And I just pray that what was spoken today convicts people 
to jump over the wall, whatever that looks like, you know, yes. reach across the aisle, as we might say yes. politically. Uh, just people in our lives that we are bothered by or uncomfortable with, Father, that we would find the compassion that's already in your heart and should be in our heart. Because if you live on the inside of us, then we have your nature to reach across the aisle and do something that might make us uncomfortable and reach those you've called us to reach, Father God. So uh, we just thank you for opportunities coming across our path and that we wouldn't be immediately inconvenienced by them, but we'll see them just as what they are, opportunities for people to encounter you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. That was fun. And Pastor Jonathan's going to have some awesome material next week. You're going to you're going to want to be back. <laughs> and I'll be back with eloquent speech in Jesus name. That's it for the Sewing and Going podcast with Jay and Jay. <laughs>